I'm SP from the GunnaGeek.com show, a weekly geek news podcast that is part of the GunnaGeek.com network. Just like the show you're checking out now, shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other amazing geek shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Welcome to our first live episode of Better Podcasting. I am Stephen John Drew, and I'm pleased to say that SP is here this week. Uh, I think this live episode might be the one where that actually changes semi-regularly. We'll see. (laughs) That I might be here and I might not be here? Is that what you're talking about? No, I'm saying more of the opposite, that I'll flake out every other week. Because you'll be like, I got someone that can talk way better about live stuff than than you, Stephen. And, And then I'll be like, you're right. And I'll leave. Yeah, um, I mean, let's see. There's um, Joe Buck. No, 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 not Joe Buck. Um, let's see who else would be live that would be good at it. Um, not The Bachelor. No. Um, yeah, St- Stephen, I think you're still good. You're still one of the good ones to go live. This is an unscripted conversation between the two of us and anybody else that actually asks this question. Maybe in the future we might invite people in. Right now we're not because we're just trying to keep it easy because we're trying to make other content for our listeners uh, blogs, which you did. You did a blog this week, Stephen. All right, David, go ahead. Go home. He said he said no gas. Go. You can go ahead and leave. What is your brother seriously He's there? Gone. Put him I'm, on microphone. I'm sorry. I'm... No, he did not leave. Put him on the second microphone. All right, I'm, I'm David. I'm Stephen's brother. No, see, He's don't, right there. Don't, don't right pull. There. Don't pull that on me. <laughs> ever, ever. If he's in the room, you put him no, on the microphone. I don't here. care what show we're doing. He's not here. Not at all. Uh, yeah. So if you didn't catch this and you're uh, new to our live audience, uh, we do uh, stream every Tuesday. Now it's moved to Tuesday, eight o'clock p.m. Eastern time, five o'clock p.m. Pacific. And uh, every other week we'll be alternating. So last week was a regular episode. This week will just be a live episode. In theory, the live episodes will eventually hit some form of podcast feed. And uh, if you're listening to this now in the podcast feed, well, this is, as we said, very live. Should we wait until we have 10 episodes before we put it? out there i thought it was three years worth of live content that we had to yeah i thought that was the uh, the understanding i've heard anything from three episodes to 25 episodes whatever (laughs) a lot of people say it's because oh then you'll have a backlog of content and that'll be our first thing that we'll talk about today which we've said before on the podcast just get your podcast out there if you need to practice practice a few maybe three no more than five And then record your first episode and get it out there because unless you get it out there, you're not going to get feedback and you're not going to be able to improve your show. And let me tell you, if somebody's listening to your show and they don't like it, eh, I don't know what the percentage is, but a percentage will actually give you feedback. So that's great. We actually have some questions that people have asked. Yes. Uh, Let's start off with Twitter. Uh, We over today posted on Twitter, what questions are you currently considering in regard to podcasting? Could be technical, decision-making, etc. And we had a couple. We'll start off actually with Kenneth. Uh, And Kenneth said, how to cut down on editing so I can make time to start podcasting again. This is my greatest hurdle and no editing is not an option, unfortunately. So Your first suggestion would be not to podcast with Steven. Fair enough. Uh, Valid. (laughs) Can't argue with it. That's that's not exactly true. Actually, (laughs) podcasting with Steven is great. So, Steven, you have a lot of tips. I know you were just going to give one. So go ahead. Yeah. uh, What I was going to say is um, I think the first thing to do would be to assess your your, uh, bar. Like, how where have you set the bar? Have you set the bar too high? Because... I know a lot of people over edit. I've seen a ton of people over edit and they think it sounds great and it sounds unnatural. There's, there's no level of regular communication through their podcast. And a good example of this actually comes SP. I remember you uh, once shared a story behind the scenes back at the, the GWC days where you had your early podcasting endeavors. And, um, they did, they did a minute count of how long it took for them to have a breath on the podcast. Yeah, it was like 23 minutes or something like that. uh, Just that much removed or something. And it it seemed really unnatural. But I've heard this lots of times where things seem very unnatural because people over edit. So I think that's the first thing is check yourself. Is it 
are you getting too obsessive with your editing? Because I am a firm believer that there is too far. And this goes for even well-produced, like um, super-produced shows that have a variety of different content that's coming in with sound effects, things like that. There is a point that you make it sound unnatural. But as far as actual tips go for the editing process, hotkeys, 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 hotkeys. Doesn't matter what piece of software it is, look for your hotkeys and how you can uh, speed up that editing time. Sometimes it's using a macro, something like perhaps macro uh, keyboard or like a stream deck or something like that. But it definitely, the macro combination with the hotkeys can save a ton of time. And I know for me, there's a certain command in Movie Studio where I can go and I can select a big section. So like, let's say that I have a five minute mark where we make a mistake. And then I have a seven minute mark where we pick back up. There's a certain series of commands that I figured out that you uh, basically I double click select this gap, but it's multiple commands that are needed to smush everything together. So it, it basically takes the whole section and deletes it out, bringing it over. But in movie studio, it's a series of commands. And by programming that as a hotkey on my keyboard, fun fact, I use a different keyboard for, for editing and I've got it as one of these macros here where I just push that and it essentially is doing two or three individual keyboard commands or series of commands. I forget what it is that I have to look it up. It make a, made a massive difference with my editing because I was no longer having to, number one, remember what those series were or two, right click, select all past this point, then drag it on back. It, it just made a big difference for me. So Occupied Podcast in the chat says my MX Master 3, which is a Logitech programmable mouse, with the programmable buttons are a huge time saver. I do not do any hotkeys when I'm editing, although I do know the keyboard shortcuts, which makes editing simpler. But I'm going to back it up beyond editing. I'm going to go to the preparation and recording stages to make your editing job easier later. Now, one of the and, things that you're saying that you want many levels of preparation, like A through G, right? And then you'll have preparation H. Is that what you're saying? We don't talk about the Preparation H on the podcast in America, Stephen. That might be a Canadian thing, but here in America, we do not. That and was, it's I, like, I, let's be honest, I stole that. That was Austin Powers. That was an Austin Powers joke, okay? Uh, okay. Oh, all right. Anyway, uh, one of the things that I would like to see, and I wish I could do that, is when you're recording to write down edit points, you can edit backwards that way. You write down the time code. And you write down what you need to do and you keep going. Another thing that I've seen done before is, especially if you're podcasting solo, you leave a silence for 5, 10, 15 seconds. 15 seconds is forever when you're recording a podcast. So just leaving a five second silence will make it easily viewable when you're watching the waveform as you're editing. That can be doable as well. I don't do show notes as I edit. I, as I record, I can't. I, I have to focus on recording. And that makes it harder for me to edit. So I actually have to go front to back and I write show notes while I'm doing it as well. So that's a plus for me as I'm writing the show notes and I get to re-listen to the podcast again. That's just how I do it. It is definitely longer than how it takes Stephen. I would really advocate the way Stephen does it, but I'm going to back up even further and I'm going to go to the show notes. If you're prepared for what you're going to say on the podcast, yes, you're going to slip up. You're going to have uh, verbal diarrhea. You're not going to be able to get the correct verbiage out that you want from time to time. And when we're recording Better Podcasting Live, you will often see us both have to reset because we're like, oh, I've gone way off the rails. I need to reset here. Steven then writes down the edit point. He changes the video. If you're doing video, you have to reset because we only have one shot. We don't have multiple angles. Actually, we both do, but we just don't use it. And we then that's because we use two different Logitech uh, webcams, but we you can reset and you can keep going. Uh, but if you're prepared, you have less of that. You have less of the I don't know what I'm talking about and I'm rambling and you can focus on what you're actually trying to talk about. In the chat, by the way, uh, Occupied Podcast said, is there any way to flag edit points on a Zoom? Uh, that would be so helpful. 
I'm not sure about on his H6, but I can tell you on the L12, and I'm fairly sure the L8, um, there, <laughs> the audio listener, I'm holding up my L12 uh, as you interestingly In my, see see a reflection see of my face. That's great. Uh, um, th there is actually an overdub button that you can um, set to go to a certain track. And what it actually does is there's a microphone built in man this thing's filthy uh, there's a microphone built right in to the l12 and if it's if the l8 does do it it would be on the l8 as well um but what it does is it allows you to essentially using the internal mic record to a separate track the uh no sorry i'm hitting talking about the wrong button it's not overdub i'm sorry it's a slate it's a slate button uh, uh. anyways there, there's a slate button and the same idea where where what it does is it goes to another track and then it uses that mic. So like if I push the slate button, I could say, say at a point or I could put a description in there. I tried to do it with, with our show, actually better podcasting and going to geek. It just became too difficult because I was having to remember to mute myself, take myself off screen, push slate. And I don't think it is on the L8. Come to think of it. I don't believe it is on the L8. I know on the L4, or the H5 and the H6, I think you can put markers in. I've never actually done it, but I've heard that you can press, you know, a sound marker and then it will be there. Um, like I said, I've never, it's, it is overdubbing basically, I guess, but I've never used it. I know different people have. I think it's also available on like the sound devices. Yeah. I think, uh, I, think I also read that um, somewhere along the way, if you, I think XSplit actually also has something built in. Oh. Okay. Um, I'm or or it's a setting or it's a feature that they announced that they're going to do or something. I'm not really sure how that all works, but the L12, yeah, that does have the slate function. Sorry, not the overdub. And and I come to think of it, I don't think the the L the L8 does. I'm not sure about the Rodecaster Pro. Another thing that might make your editing go faster is if you pre-process the tracks, so you're editing what you might hear after you process them. And so you're not um, you're you're not focusing on little ticks or anything in the waveform that might go away after you apply a noise gate in post processing or noise reduction. It might help you. I don't know. It would help me. I know that it does help me. Yeah. Because I do that that way. Well, that's actually a really good point about the software gates and stuff too, because that does make a big difference. Like, I'll be honest. <laughs> SP, fantastic. He's super good about um, giving me clean audio because he's good to muting. Other people that I have podcast with, guests and things like that, uh, on this show as well as other shows, not always the case where I get low level, like, you know, desktop or whatever. And adding a gate in post-production where it, it does uh, gate everything below a certain level has saved me huge amount of times on people especially people with condenser microphones, I'll be honest. So it makes a quite a big bit of a difference and uh, speeds it up for me. For a while, I wouldn't podcast with anybody that I was producing that had a condenser microphone for various different reasons. The room echo, the extra noise that you might get, the ambient noise that you're going to record and that sort of thing. I really haven't had the opportunity to record with anybody that's running a condenser microphone lately. Although you're bringing up a great point, I probably would not want to do that because it is a little bit excessive in post-production. If you're used to producing a clean show with dynamic microphones in dead rooms and stuff like that. Would you like uh, me to start using one for our live recordings? Is that what you want? You know, there was <laughs> a good question in the chat from Johnny Pennington. Why has Steven seemed to give up on his favorite ATBP40 microphone? You know, um, I don't know. That was know. from Johnny Pennington, by the way. I don't know why I've given up on the BP40. And I haven't, I don't say, think that I've necessarily given up on it. I think, I, th I could see myself going back. Maybe it's time to bring it on back. Um... Okay, I'll be honest. We're live. We're we're real. We're raw. Comments. I guess. Feedback. Feedback was a large driver where people got in my mind my enunciation again. Really? And I thought you sounded great on the BP40. And I started to doubt clarity because I knew that I had a problem. But then I did a, a, a for, 
for S and giggles. I almost said bad word. I switched to this one, which had a little bit, a little bit of a, a higher lift. And I felt like it masked a little bit of the uh, problems I had with myself. The, the uh, I don't know, what do you call it? The not doubt, self-doubt, uh, what do you call it? Self-conscious pieces, whatever. And I felt like it helped, helped mask some of the things that I was working to solve. So that was a big driver. And then from there, I just thought, it's okay. I, I, I also like advocating for not expensive gear. It's a little cheaper than the BP40. It does an okay job. Uh, the shock mounts better. I need to find the elastics that are somewhere in here because I need to replace that. The shock mounts better than the one that I had. So for those reasons, I kind of just stuck with it. Um, I do genuinely feel like as soon as I hook it up, I'll, I'll say the same thing that I always do to SP. It's like going home. Every single time I've done an extended run away from the BP-40, the moment I've hooked it back up, put my settings back on, I make that comment to him. Oh, man. It's like me with the RE320. Every time I go back to it, it's like, oh, I miss this sound. And it's just a sound that I like with my voice. And I really enjoy it. I have also used the BP-40. For those that don't know, I have a BP-40. I also have a Rode Procaster, which you have in front of you right now. And for me and my voice... It just worked better on the RE320. I had commented, I forget how long ago it was, just a couple of weeks ago, that I was looking forward to upgrade to possibly the RE20. It's not going to happen because I had other expenses, like my daughter needed a new phone. It's not going to happen anytime soon, but eventually it will happen. I'm really curious as to see if the RE20 is more favorable to my voice yeah. or if sticking with the RE320 really is. And that's the conundrum that you get in with gear. Yeah. Acquisition syndrome. You're like, oh, I really need this to make my voice sound better. And whereas maybe just sticking with the Samsung Q2U or the Audio Technica AT2005 is going to be just fine for you. I can tell you that for me, that wouldn't be the case. There's a couple of reasons. But first of all, the sibilance in my voice really gets to me. And I really enjoy being able to take that out with my DBX286. One really thing do. That I do want to note about the BP-40, and I think it's what Bangs Naughty Bits in the chat is referring to. Um, the BP-40, out of all of the large dynamic microphones that I have, I uh, I use the least amount of gain on the BP-40. The BP-40, I like this one here right now, I'm hovering around 48 uh, dB. Um, the BP-40, if I, I'd have to go look for sure, it's somewhere in the 35, 38 range that I have it on. and um, you know, all of the other, like the RE320, it's also around this level. Uh, but the, yeah, the BP40, it's less. Uh, we also had a question that, uh, I don't know that you and I are, are that qualified to answer, but we could point to some right resources and give some tips based off of what we do know in our limited experience is how do you do a solo podcast? Uh, the thing that I would plan by saying is uh, practice a few times if you've not done a solo podcast before. If you've only done with other people, give it give it a try a few times because of the fact that it's going to be a different feel. Also, if you're not doing it live, which I would probably advocate for a not solo podcast, give yourself time to to re recharge. You're the only one going. I know this is something that Chris Farrell, our GunnaGeek.com show cohort. He did a solo newscast twice a week, I believe it was, a while ago. And he did live stream it. But what was cool about it was he, he tried to fix it as he went. And what you got to see him do was exhaust himself and regroup. I love that aspect of his live stream where he was getting a little hoarse from just talking. And he'd go and he'd take a pause and he'd take a drink or whatever. He'd kind of mumble a little bit to anybody that might be watching live. But it really gave you an idea about sort of the little breaks to, to fill in when you are doing a solo podcast. We often have the benefit of having each other on the podcast and even with Chris on the guineageek.com show. And we don't have to be speaking the entire time. But if you watch somebody like Bandrew Scott and with his Bandrew Says podcast. So for a solo podcast, I want to mention several things. Are you doing it live? Are you doing it video, non-live? Are you doing it video in post or is it just recorded audio? If it's just recorded audio, you could take all those pauses that Steven was saying 
and you can just edit them out and post and bingo, you have a podcast that's out there. I would probably recommend you to have a shorter show. I wouldn't recommend you to have a long show unless it's a well-researched show that you're going to do in segments. And oftentimes I know a lot of solo podcasts like to put in background music and that's going to add production value later. I would suggest don't do that to start out with. Yeah, if you want to have bumps, that's great, but don't put it in background music. That's just going to extend what you do. I did that with the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Longbox Edition podcast, and I actually just had short segments of different people talking, and I would put background music behind them, and then to edit that background music, which rotated for each speaker, like two, three, four different kinds based on what they were doing, or tracks based on what they were doing, I still had to lengthen or shorten them. And if you're doing a segment that's maybe one minute one week and seven minutes another week, that's a large variation that you'd have to put behind there. That's the side of the point. If you're just doing an audio podcast, just make sure your energy is ramped up and that you're going to hit it. And if you're missing it, just take a little time off, like 15 minutes, an hour, two hours a day or something like that, and then come back to the microphone later recharged and ready to go if you're doing a video podcast i would recommend trying to do different angles uh -huh. so when you're doing the cut that you can go to a different cut and you can see that on bandrew scott's podcast all the time too with uh bandrew sets that's how we do this show if you didn't know that that's how we do it is we like if i go and i screw something up i switch to either uh the like where we're both on the screen and i switch to one of us on the screen so that it cuts nicely before we get to some other questions, uh, let's briefly talk about something that uh, Suncast highlighted to us earlier last week. If you go to betterpodcasting.com, there's something that I wanted to mention, and maybe it'll show up in our next actual episode. We'll see how we're feeling about it next week. I wrote an article about uh, Chrome making some changes for insecure downloads. This might spark a little bit of discussion. Long story short... Currently, if you are on a secure website, so HTTPS colon slash slash, you can go and download a file. So like, let's say you have a link to download a podcast file. If that is on an HTTP, no problem. Chrome's not going to care. It's not going to flag anything. So you're downloading an insecure file to it from a secure location. They're making changes. So this isn't going to be allowed anymore. This is going to happen over the, a series of different updates. Um, it actually affects more than just MP3s. It also affects any form of download. And this is going to start uh, with Chrome 81 and go through to Chrome 86 will be the final change to do with this. And that's going to be in October 2020. And it's going to be a gradual thing. So like the, the first update is just going to give a warning in what's called the console warning. There's a separate techie part of Chrome where if you open up the console, you can see a warning. Then the next version, it's going to basically give an actual on-screen warning for EXEs, APKs, and a bunch of other things like executables. And it's just going to continue until eventually all downloads are blocked from Chrome that are being downloaded from an insecure site. Now, the reason why this is something worth considering is because if you run a third-party website, you at some point may have gone and copied your podcast MP3 file and pasted it into something like PowerPress. And if you put that in H as an HTTP file onto an HTTPS website, you might end up having someone not be able to download that if you don't go and fix that after Chrome 86. So I know for sure GunnaGeek, betterpodcasting.com, because most of that was actually a, a data dump from GunnaGeek, is going to have this problem. I'm going to have to go and run a query in the database to go in and fix that. Luckily, I'm techie and know how to do that. But if you're not techie, you might have to go and update these manually. So it's really something that you need to be aware of. And the thing that is really important to know about that is you have to, you want to make sure that where you're hosting that file is offering secure downloads. I think most reputable media hosts are. If you go and you paste that into like uh, MP3 and you place that, paste that into your browser and you change it to HTTPS, I think most reputable ones you'll find will work. But if you don't, if they don't work, there could be further problems by trying to link to an HTTPS uh, media location that isn't capable of SSL. So uh, check that out if you want to read more about that, betterpodcasting.com. 
And uh, SP's Canadian Beard, the user in the chat, is saying, real simple SSL. Um, <laughs> that's more to do... I, I, yeah, more. I would say that's more to do with the website side of things rather than the actual... Uh, oh, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, the real simple SSL. I was thinking of something else. That's the thing that goes in and changes the website on WordPress to switch over. I don't know that it's going to change the embed links the uh what is the enclosure link from the powerpress table or the uh post table on wordpress it'll be interesting to see i'm not i'm not sure i i don't know it maybe that is the the solve right there i personally want to go and change all the urls this takes me back to better podcasting episode 65 we we did the pros and the cons of self-hosting and self-hosting your rss and your website versus using a media service like Podbean, and for a lot of hobbyists that don't have the technical skills to run a website that going with a service like Podbean that gives you a website or a landing page might be for you so you don't have to keep up with this stuff and you can focus on content creation now there's some things that you won't be able to do you won't be able to create page web pages willy-nilly you might not necessarily be able to separate articles from podcasts. It'll just be in one feed and it's just going to be limitations. Like if you want to sell stuff, you can't necessarily put a store on some of the services that have landing pages, but you don't have to worry about maintaining your RSS feed other than putting in the correct parameters. And you don't have to worry about security like this because your web host or your podcast hosting service should be able to go ahead and do that. So that's an option. I will say I do recommend hosting your own show for a variety of different reasons. I think it's just better to own your own content that way, but not everybody can. So that is an option to not do that. Absolutely. I think it's a really good point. Um... We had another question uh, in the chat here, didn't we? From uh, It was more of an, a notification, actually, that was worth mentioning. Johnny Pennington wanted to highlight, quote, and, and he screamed this, by the way, let people know before the end that there is a super sale for Hindenburg this Thursday, February 13th. He, he yelled that to us in the chat. My ears hurt, Steven. <laughs> no, Johnny, actually, I was chatting a little bit with Johnny before this uh, was officially announced, and he was speculating. Johnny and I were having a little back and forth. Uh, I think it was Saturday before this was announced, and he knew it was coming based off of history. So definitely, if you're looking for a Hindenburg journalist, uh, go ahead and check that out. Uh, there is a sale this Thursday, February 13th. And uh, I believe there's an upgrade deal as well if you're going from Hindenburg Journalist Regular to Hindenburg Journalist, Journalist Pro. And if you're looking for the Hindenburg, well, you're out of luck. Time travel's needed. Got a couple of questions about my beard, and I just <laughs> feel like I have to address them. I got one from SP's Canadian Beard, which I'm assuming is Jason Allerun from the Smoking and Drinking in Space podcast. He asked, where does SP's beard go during the summer? Does it do like a reverse hibernation? And Johnny Pennington asked SP's Canadian Beard, what is the name of it? I don't necessarily have a name for my beard. I just call it my beard. Although we could probably have a naming contest. And I know that's kind of touchy because it'll end up to be like Beard McBeardface or something like that. <laughs> Beardy McBeardface. <laughs> uh, where does it go during the summer? I shave it off. I shave it off because I have allergies, which by the way, because we've had such a mild winter this year that I've really been suffering the past six weeks and I did consider shaving it off, but I'm, I am going to try to keep it on until April 1st this year. But uh, I don't know if anybody has a good name suggestion for my beard. Go ahead and hit us up on Twitter or in our Discord server or on our email, which is podcast at betterpodcasting.com. Steven John Drew has already put my suggestion in the chat. Beardy McBeardface. <laughs> Hashtag Beardy McBeardface. <laughs> uh, <laughs> itchy. Bangs Naughty Bits says itchy. Well, okay. Yeah. During the summer, it would be called itchy. That's for sure. 
So there's a great chat question from uh, guest 6819869 saying for someone completely new to this stuff, is there a bracket YouTube type bracket trusted resource to follow to learn website creation and email stuff? I don't actually have a recommendation for that if I'm being perfectly frank because there's a bunch of different reasons or different ways that you can handle this. And uh, some of it is going to be very technical and some of it is more easy. You pay a little more, you have somebody manage it for you. I have told this story a few different times and different shows. I, uh, no exaggeration. And, and if it didn't have all sorts of personal information, I literally came across them. They're sitting right over there. I came across my very first payment for my web hosting was paid by check because I was too young to own a credit card. So and that's check with a Q yeah. too, by the way, because you're Canadian. And, and I literally just like was clearing out stuff three three months ago and, and came across, across the copy. So I had to keep it. But um, I, I mentioned that because that's sort of my level of knowledge for starting out with websites was many, many, many years ago. And as such, it was very, very, very technical at the time. I don't have a lot of information for getting started now as somebody. I know there's lots of tools. If you're just looking for email, I might look at something like the Hovered uh, email service. That might be the best way, like wherever you're going to register your domain. If you're just looking for email, that could be the simplest way is with your domain registrar's email service. You usually pay a little bit for that. That's probably the easiest way. As for websites, there could also be some options that you might be able to find through a domain registrar um, that might make it sort of easy. If you're using a podcast media host that offers a website and you think that'll work for you, ask them if there's a way that you can put your .com pointing to it. That might be the easiest way or just forward it over. And then again, use your, your domain registrar's email service. That could be the easiest way to do it. Um, I'm, I, what's your thoughts, Espy? Occupied Podcast has a comment in the chat. Just start a WordPress and make lots and lots of mistakes till you start making less and less mistakes. That's the way I went about it. I started a website for Voices of Defiance, which was one of my first podcasts. It was about the Defiance show on the sci-fi channel which pod faded because the show ended so we decided to end the podcast wonderful show loved both the podcast and the show just wish it could have kept going but sci-fi canceled it thus my hatred towards the sci-fi channel i will tell you that i went from literally hand rolling html <laughs> code on there to upgrading to a wordpress site and i learned a lot along the way i will also tell you that producing, I forget what it was, five or six shows a week at that point in time and maintaining a website and working a full-time job and having a family way too much. So I decided, nope, that's not going to be for me. I did shut that website down. I could go back to it. It's just, uh, why? Yeah. Because I've got Steven to do the Gonna Geek and the better podcasting website. So why? The other thing is like, I made no secret. I'm the massive self-hosting your RSS feed fan on here. I think that there is a huge amount of people who are just flat out wrong that that believe you legally own a slug on a podcast service. Like I, I legitimately will argue that that is not the case with many people. I preface this by this manner to illustrate how strong of a believer I am in self-hosting your RSS feed. With that said, I highly, highly recommend Podbean and other media hosts all the time because I firmly believe that there are many people who shouldn't try to self-host their RSS feed because it's too beyond their technical trouble or their technical limitations. And they're just going to get themselves into a problem and it's going to cause a problem with their podcast or it's going to cause them headaches. It might cause them to fade because of this. And, and the same logic for me applies with WordPress. I don't know that WordPress is for everybody. I don't think that it is. I think there are some people who they just want email and they just want their domain to redirect to their media host. And, and I would never recommend that person start with WordPress because I think they're going to run into the same thing. It's going to be too much. They're going to get hacked. There's going to be something that happens that that extra thing on their plate is just might be 
the, the part that makes their food fall off. At the same time, easy websites like Wix or Squarespace, they're just not pod friendly. I mean, maybe in the future they will be, but they're really not pod friendly now. You can't do a lot with them like you can with a WordPress site. WordPress is still, I mean, as many problems as there are with WordPress because you run into issues with plugins and updating and security and everything like that. It's all stuff you have to monitor, stuff that you can monitor, but stuff that you have to monitor and you don't have to do as much with Wix and Squarespace and things like that. But I just, I would never start a podcast with one of those websites (sighs) because they're so limiting that said, I mean, if somebody wants a website that they've done their own, yeah, go ahead, try it. But I think either go with a podcast media host that gives you a landing page or host your own WordPress site. I think that's really the way to go with I, podcasting. Yeah, I think if you were to say, Stephen, this is somebody you need to tell right now, you need to give them a piece of advice right now. They don't know how to build a website. A podcast media host will do everything that they want, but they want a custom email, I would I would say look into your domain registrar's email options and simply and also their forwarding options. And basically, like if you type betterpodcasting.com, it might redirect over to a different website. That's probably the way that I, I would say start out with if you're not comfortable with web stuff. Because again, I, I think there's a bunch of things that can go wrong with WordPress. If you're comfortable with that, give it a try. Play around, have fun. It is fairly intuitive once you start to get, once you actually get it set up, which many web hosting providers can do. But once you get it set up, it can be a little more intuitive once you play around, especially with things like the Elementor plugin. Uh, definitely a good plugin as well. I think the minimum that you should have is the domain. You should own the URL. I own the URL to VoicesDefiance.com. I own StarlingTribune.com. I own LegendsOfShield.com. Stephen owns GunnaGeek.com. Stephen owns BetterPodcasting.com. You need to own those regardless of where you host your show. It's really easy. I mean, if you pick a decent name, it's only going to be somewhere between nine and 14 bucks a year, depending on who you use. If you use Hover, you use Namecheap or any one of those domain registrars. That's kind of the minimum I would go with there. Hey, Stephen, I have a story time today. Can we go with yeah. story time with SP? We're, we're getting towards the end of our show. So absolutely. I think you should have story time. I know exactly what your story is. And uh, I think it's very, very relevant because there are all sorts of people that are wondering why you quit all of your podcasts. Go ahead. That is not what I'm talking, quitting podcasts. I pod faded Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. or uh, I pod faded Voices of Defiance because the show ended. I pod faded or wrapped. I think wrapped is a better word to use here. Starling Tribune. I agree. Pod fade is Walking the Walking Dead and Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Longbox Edition. I totally agree. Those are pod fade. Pod wrapped is different. Oh, pod wrapped. I like it with a with a W pod wrapped. All right, so this is what is happened. There e, is there an E in it, or is it replaced because E's are bad? <laughs> pod wrapped. Why would you need an E in pod wrapped? Pod wrapped? Oh, E-D. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, okay, I get it. P-O-D-W-R-A-P-P-D. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Pod I like wrap, it yeah. with, with two P's. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so here's what happened. Last night, Stephen and I and Chris were recording the guinea.com show. Everything went fine. I transferred the file off my H6 and Steven has it. now. I don't know if he's pulled it down or not, but it is on a cloud storage ready for him to pull down. Then I was doing some work on Word, Microsoft Word, and I saved the file to my hard drive and uh, I, I went to sleep. I came back and the file was still up. I still had my computer up because I'm get up really early for work and I just wanted to give this thing a last look over before I emailed it off. And I made a few changes and I went to save it and it says drive not available. This happens all the time to me at work because it's network issues. I don't have network drives. I have four hard drives in my computer. If people are like four hard drives, what kind of machine are you running? It is a gaming machine. I bought it specifically for podcasting. I have a SSD that is an operating system. I have an SSD that I work off of when I'm editing, so it's a little faster to retrieve the files. I have a podcast storage drive. It's eight terabytes. All those drives are fine. I have a personal storage drive that is two terabytes, which I was going to upgrade to four terabytes. 
It is a large 3.5 inch drive and I couldn't access it. I'm like, uh, I wonder what's going on. So I turned the computer off, turn it back on after saving the file on my desktop, by the way. And it goes immediately into the hard drive check. I'm like, this isn't good. So I do the hard, the quick hard drive. I actually was doing the long hard drive check with, with an eight terabyte drive in there. It was going to take a while. So I did a quick hard drive check. Worked out fine, but it wasn't reading the two terabyte drive. So I'm like, well, maybe it's a hardware issue. So I unplugged it. I shut everything down, shut everything down, replugged it in, made sure the connection was strong, turned it back on. Nothing. Nada. It wasn't reading the drive. I'm like, oh, crap. So I take it out and I put another older drive, my six terabyte podcast drive, which I still have. I threw that in there and it worked just fine. It's what's in the computer right now. I've got an eight terabyte and a six terabyte drive in there, 14 terabytes of storage. And I have a USB external drive, which is acting as a backup. However, the backup stopped working a few months ago and I hadn't fixed it yet. So I don't have a, as of yesterday, backup or last week or whatever backup of this drive, but I do have a backup of this drive that's uh, a few months old. Uh, so I ordered a new hard drive It is on the way. It will come tomorrow. I will input it into the computer and I will bring that backup off of the USB external drive. I have lost some files that are on here. I have no idea what happened to this. Now, I for the video viewer, I have turned the, the drive around. I'm looking at the back and there's this green computer board that's called a PCB, which is control board basically. And unfortunately, uh, it might be bad. I don't know. It might be something else, but in case it is this, I've ordered another one. There is actually a number on it. I know you won't be able to see it on the video, but there is a number on it. If you ever run into this issue and you try to resurrect the drive yourself, which I don't recommend, but I'm trying it just because I have a backup and I, it's just the last few files that I've changed in the last couple of months that I, I might want back. And you have to get the exact same thing. And you also have to, there's an EEPROM. If I flip this, if I take this uh, board off and I flip it around, there's actually an EEPROM chip on there. I would have to unsolder that and solder it back in because it's matched directly to the hard drive. I found a company and I believe it's actually in Vancouver, Stephen, a company that sells this exact board with the exact revision and everything. And I ordered it and they said, if you send us yours, we'll actually mount the EEPROM on your your replacement board so it will match. I don't know if that's the issue or not. It would be 50 bucks for me to do that, which you're like, oh, wow, that's a lot for a two terabyte drive. Now, granted, it's not the drive that I'm worried yeah. about. It's the data on the drive. So I'm going to try that. I'm going to try to uh, match it up and see if that will work. It might be something dead inside the drive. It just went dead. There was no clicking. There was no ticking. No. There was no sign of life. So it doesn't even show up in the BIOS. No. And there was no indication that it was going bad either. Uh, I literally went to bed last night and I woke up this morning and it was dead. But it, it like it, you don't even hear it spin up or anything. No, it, it wasn't. So, so I did take it out and I tried, well, maybe it just wasn't reading correctly. I do have an external drive reader, which can take a 3.5 millimeter drive and a 2.5 millimeter drive. I did try this. It has its external power, uh, AC power. I have to plug it in and it plugs in here. And then it's a USB three connection that goes into the computer. So I did try this and no, it, it, it tried to spin it up, but there, there was nothing whatsoever and it just booted it out. So I'm thinking if it is the PCB board, I might be able to boot it up one last time and then take all the data, the newer data off of it and just copy it over and then just be done with it. I'm going to trash this. This is no longer good to me. It's, it's dead to me, literally and figuratively. So but this is an, an example of backups anyway. Yeah. You know, I know you've got an upload problem. So your initial upload will be a, a big pain. Um, but it might be a good time to consider Backblaze because Backblaze like is 110 bucks US for two years, 60 bucks a year. 
unlimited backup for one PC. So unlimited backup for one okay. PC. As, so, as long as it's unlimited, yeah. because I'm going to have a lot of yep. data. Like I said, I so, have the eight terabyte drive. I have the two terabyte drive, which uh -huh. I'm upgrading to a four terabyte drive anyway. I've and got, so that's 12 got, terabytes. Yeah, I've got my 120 gig, my 500 gig, my three gig, my four gig, my four gig, my 500 gig. Sorry, I'm not gig, terabyte. So my, my 120 gig, my 500 gig, my three terabyte, my four terabyte, my other four terabyte, and my 500 gig. So quite, quite a bit. And it is, it is unlimited. So backways might be a good way to go. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention that I've been kind of considering for the last little bit, for two bucks a month, you can also add one year retention. It's 30 day retention for old versions. I was thinking about adding adding the $2 a month extra upgrade where it keeps the retentions, the deleted and old versions for a year. I was thinking about it. So Jason in the chat asks, will it back up map drives? Uh, I don't know if it will. I don't, I don't believe it will. Because that's what I'll have. So I'll have four map drives. They're on, they're on a separate computer? No, the yeah. same computer. No, so that's not a map drive. Map drive okay. is like a network drive. So, okay. um, so I... I did look into recovery data recovery services. None of them have costs that are out there. So that's a red flag right there. If they're not saying what the cost is right away, it's probably too expensive. I did finally look into some websites that actually were starting to give prices. So literally to take this drive apart, put it in a clean room or put it in a clean room first, take it apart, put it back together with parts that work so that you can get the data off of it, that's somewhere, and probably on the higher end, but somewhere without any damage to the drive whatsoever, no water damage, no uh, heat damage or anything like that, just like a, a board that's gone bad, is somewhere between $500 and $1,000 just to rebuild a normal drive in a clean room. That price will go up depending on what the damage is and you might not get all the data off of it. Say you dump your laptop in the lake and then it doesn't work anymore, but you want the data off of it. That is water damage and it might not be able to recover all of the data. Water damage, the price goes through the roof. It's like 300%. So you're talking like $3,000 to $5,000 to recover data from that. So if that is your option or your other option is to try to rebuild the drive on your own, which never really worked. I mean, Literally, I have to send this, I have to take this board off, which is just some screws. I have to send it to a place which is in Canada. They have to take apart a, a EEPROM, one of the things off the board, solder it onto the replacement board, and then send it back to me. And that's going to take a couple of weeks. Uh, that's 50 bucks to do it on my own. And then you have to send it off and you're talking at least 500 to 1500 or something like that. So make sure you back up your data. Yeah. Backblaze. I mean, think of that cost in terms of the cost of Backblaze or the USB driver, mm -hmm. anything, any backup option whatsoever. If it is important data to you, you need to back it up. And like I said, I've lost a couple of months worth of files that have changed a well, but I haven't yeah. lost the the file the photos that I took ten years ago, you know, fifteen years ago. I haven't lost um, really deep recordings that I didn't care to lose and that sort of thing. So the most important stuff to me, my podcast drive is backed up and it is fine. My uh, my data here is fine, so I'm good there. But that that's this, that's SP story time with a drive that just quit working overnight. I'm glad you mentioned it. It actually made me think today when you told me about that earlier that um, <clears throat> I should probably revisit what I've got externally. It's been a while since I've dumped some stuff, not like because I've got the backblaze, but I'd like to have. I still have my a couple external drives, but I should, I should go double check that. I like to go and um, dump what I can important on there. Uh, I I don't have. Like I'm looking here according to backblaze, I've got 12 terabytes actually uploaded there. I don't have 12 terabytes of external storage, but I have enough that I want to do my very important things, my personal photos, my personal videos, things like that, right? You know, all of the all of my logs of the ways that SP has made me feel good about myself just from being around his presence 
those are all backed up. But this is going to, I think, take us to the end of our uh, mm -hmm. live stream. I think it was pretty successful. If you're checking this out after the fact, uh, number one, uh, if you're on YouTube at youtube.com slash gonna geek, I realized I went to youtube.com slash gonna geek. I don't know that these live ones are going to be there. I don't know. We, we were talking about maybe putting them on better podcasting. We haven't decided. Haven't decided on that. We'll see. We'll see. Keep an eye on betterpodcasting.com. Uh, number two, uh, every other Tuesday is when we will do this live, uh, this live chat at 8 p.m. Eastern. And number three, uh, congratulations, because apparently I've gone and I've posted the posted version. And right now I'm feeling lazy. So congratulations to myself for doing it. There you go. What? What? What's what's number three? I'm missing number uh, three. Just congratulations for finding the audio version that apparently I did. So I should have congratulations for actually putting it together. Oh, I, for for those that are listening in the future. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. Well, congratulations. I, yeah. I'm actually shocked. We just wanted to do this for live <laughs> our live listeners. We know that people come listen to us every week, and we know that people have questions. So this kind of fits a bunch of different holes in our creation. And we're glad that you guys have showed up. If you like it, please let us know. If you catch this later, please let us know. And remember, we'll be live on Tuesdays every week, uh, every other week with a numbered episode, every other week with a live Q&A. Tuesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific at Geeks.Live. And we look forward to hearing your questions in the future. So there you go for our first live episode of Better Podcasting. I'm Stephen John Drew saying, well, I'm Stephen John Drew saying that wasn't edited out. Probably not. I made a mistake. <laughs> and I'm SP saying it's fun doing a live show. I'll see everybody later. Bye. Bye. for checking out another episode of Better Podcasting. You can find the full back catalog of Better Podcasting at betterpodcasting.com. If you're into geeky podcasts, please check out the other podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageeknetwork.com. This show was produced and edited by Stephen John Drew of Gunna Geek Productions. Voice work was done by L.W. Salinas. Thanks again for listening or watching. And we hope to see you again next week.